You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 322. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Annika Harrison and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Hello. Hey son, hey son. Annika, you're back. Yes. yes. Right. <laughs> Good. Welcome back. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> is everyone okay in the family? Now yes, yes. everything is sorted. Okay. Yes, everything's good. Good, good. good. <laughs> There are just times in a life of a parent where you just have to like put the brakes on. <laughs> That's right. I remember. Yeah, I wouldn't know. I mm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but uh, the most important thing is that you're back, and uh, well, we don't know what's coming in the next couple of months because in May I'm gonna be resuming traveling. So oh, yeah. Um, yeah, obviously my students are leaving because they are finishing with their exams. The the school year is ending, but after that I'll be on my way again on the road again. Yeah, but that means that um mm-hmm. I'll be coming to several different countries across the globe. Yay. So people listening to this show, beware, stay tuned and be mm. aware that I might be coming <laughs> near you. <laughs> Andres on the road again. <laughs> yeah, and and you know you know that I really love meeting people in the places where I go, and this is how. I ended up meeting the loveliest people ever in Canada, for example. Oh, I and, thought you were and, talking about us, but okay. I no, was no, already no. being like, no, that's so nice. But no, he was talking no, about Canadians. <laughs> well, you can't beat Canadians for being nice. Where I met the <laughs> two of you, I didn't go as a tour guide. I went as a skeptic. I was looking for like-minded skeptics. Looking for so trouble. That doesn't... <laughs> yeah, that's right. Skeptics are not nice. <laughs> it wasn't a side project as it was in the case of Canada, for example. Right. So you were just around the globe. Oh, was it really a globe? <laughs> is it, it <laughs> are you referring to the flat earth awards yes. <laughs> that we are about to hand out yeah actually on the day of the release of this episode we are handing out the flat earth awards and i'm not prepared to tell you yet who the winner is but i can tell you that we have released the names of the five finalists and it's a very interesting list mostly because the winners of last year which is um, a group of doctors and healthcare practitioners who were against the covid regulations and they were mostly anti-vax and uh, spreading crazy bullshit about uh, covid they are among the finalists as well for this year so <laughs> they are very consistent in that in that regard uh, they were nominated they were voted on but one of them who's a pharmacist uh, by training and um, he made his name as a bodybuilder and an aspiring politician as well he built a political party based on the covid related lies that he's he's been spreading which is absolutely outrageous but he made it to the list big time he got like 2200 votes <laughs> by our by by the public that we that we we made it available for the public to vote on the the nominees there were 25 nominees among them the Hungarian Association of Homeopaths there is the Flat Earth Society Hungary that was <laughs> just very very fitting yeah <laughs> But there, interestingly, there is another nominee who's there as a politician, but she has been spreading 
nonsense about gender identity and uh, absolutely ridiculous claims have been made by her and the other thing is that she is mostly anti-vax but she got vaccinated herself but all the covid regulations have been massively criticized but not on the scientific basis but on a political basis by them and her party that made it to parliament on these elections they are denying the holocaust as well not outright, not explicitly, but they, deny they it a little bit. They keep implying that in their comments, yeah. uh, every all over the place. Mm. So that's ridiculous. Yeah, it's it's quite a lineup this year. But what I really wanted to mention is that there are several politicians or political actors among the nominees this year, which shows you how much all the scientific topics and skepticism-related topics are now massively politicized. So you cannot, the political part of it cannot be peeled off the original topic because it's so much attached to political sides and political parties even. Mm. It's, yeah, quite a worrying thing to see, but uh, we just have to live with it. So we have discussed in the last couple of days with the board of the Hungarian skeptics that we will probably have to revise our stance on being completely non-political. So obviously we're not going to be criticizing Orban as such, just because we are left-wing and, and he's not... I don't know what he is exactly, because he's basically <laughs> national socialist. But, yeah, when it comes to scientific claims or pseudoscientific claims, we should not be shying away from criticizing them just because they are politicians. No, of course we should. I mean, we have there, to do that. There's a difference, and we talked about this before, there's a difference yeah. of being neutral when it comes to party politics, and still, yeah. but you can still criticize policies when exactly. they are anti-science or yeah, pseudoscientific. Exactly. Yeah. And this is why we would like to, and we will discuss political decision-making in relation to science and evidence at the, the European Skeptics Congress as well. Yes, we will. And you should all sign up. We have started to receive registrations. It's nice. early yet. People are you know, a bit slow in the beginning, but I think we're going to get uh, quite a lot. We even had a, an American applying just today, I think. So mm, there are. Nice. it's really, truly an international congress, and uh, you should all be there because we will be there and it will be great. So it's mm-hmm. fantastic. Yes, we'll be amazing. Um, yeah. And speaking of Americans... I'll be a speaker at an American conference, um, and that's going to be a skeptical conference. I think it's uh, in the the Cal stands for California, and uh, I was invited by uh, none other than Susan Gerbic, who's responsible. (laughs) Very nice, very nice, very nice. But you'll do it uh, remotely, right? Online? Yes, 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 yes. It's it's a part of the conference that is called Sunday Papers, and uh, Susan Gerbic is responsible for the organization of that. And I believe there will be two of us speaking from Europe. And the other person is Mr. Brian Ego. Oh, so, yeah, Eggman. Very good. He's almost, <laughs> I mean, he is, well, at least part-time host of this show. So. Yeah. Yeah, he's going to be talking about running a skeptical group. And I'll be talking about the trials and tribulations of a skeptical activist in a country with state-controlled mm-hmm. propaganda in the 21st century. So <laughs> it's going to be... <laughs> Just a very tiny topic. <laughs> Sounds like you know something about that. <laughs> yeah, Not I would like, say so. It's just fictional. It's like completely coincidental if it's about um, actual <laughs> events, right? 
<laughs> yeah, but it's I think it's a it's quite a burning topic at least for me. Yes. Mm. So uh, I'm really grateful to Susan for inviting me, mm-hmm. and uh, it's quite an honor to be among so well-known and revered skeptics like come on bill nye is among the speakers i'm, I'm, I'm uh, eugenie scott Edzard ernst the lineup is absolutely amazing it's it's really an honor thank you very much for that hmm. wonderful <laughs> yeah Great. yeah yeah all right so um with that i think we should probably take care of this sh- particular show right <laughs> and- yes that's right <laughs> As usual, we will start with This Week in Skeptical History, also known as Twish. This week includes the day of the 20th of April, and that marks the birthday of a Dutch person by the name Wim Hof, also known as the Iceman, and he was born on the 20th of April, 1959. And he's a motivational speaker, he's an author, he's being referred to as an extreme athlete for his, well, actions on doing things like walking on the snow, sitting a bathtub full of ice cubes and um, ridiculous stuff like that. He claims to be able to withstand freezing temperatures because of his method that is called well, very modestly, Wim Hof method. <laughs> okay. Of course. Or WHM. And um, he had several Guinness records, by the way, related to cold temperature activities like swimming under ice, walking on ice, doing a half marathon on ice, and things like that. Well, we have to mention that all of his records have been surpassed <laughs> since then ah. and by people that are not known to be applying the Wim Hof method. And the Wim Hof method is basically breathing exercises and uh, meditation and something that is called cold therapy. By the cold therapy, we mean like a combination of different kinds of exposure to cold to get used to the cold temperatures and your body's adjustment to these cold temperatures. Now, there are several actual benefits that he claims he has gained from these actions but the issue as usual with this that brought the attention of the skeptical community is that the claims that he makes regarding what it's useful for are a little bit exaggerated at best but it's not only him but his followers and one of the co-authors of um, the book that he wrote the book is called The Way of the Iceman <laughs> and he claims, and his co-author claims that there are benefits like um, the natural anti-inflammation action, like relief from autoimmune disease, including multiple sclerosis, which is quite a bold claim. They claim that uh, there is an asthma management that can be uh, reached with that. And uh, it's not on the website anymore, but it used to be that even Parkinson's disease could be fought with his method. So obviously, there are a couple of things that are scientifically established to be working for him, including things like an immune boost, which comes from his capability, his unique 
we have to give him that mm-hmm. unique capability of um, inducing sympathetic response in his nervous system, which is usually not something that you can do intentionally. It's designed to kick in when there is a stressful situation that you have to fight. Okay, so one of the things that it's responsible for is the so-called fight or flight response. So that is something that has been proven. It has been proven that he could generate a little bit more heat than the usual people. But that is probably not because, as he claims, because of his breathing methods, but rather his higher than usual amount of brown fat. And how we know that is because he has an identical twin and they were analyzed. They were uh, going through a couple of tests and it turned out that they both perform very similarly when it comes to cold management for the body and surviving exposure to extreme cold temperatures for an elongated period of time. And his twin never was trained in such great amounts and to that extent that Wim Hof himself was. So it's something that their body characteristics, their metabolism could do. And one of the things that could could be proven to work for that is uh, the amount of brown fat, for example. So we could go on and on and on about that. But the most important thing is that there has been a lot of criticism towards his methods and not because of the method itself being completely bogus, because it's not necessarily is, but because there have been a couple of incidents reported when people actually died after Mm. attempting to work with his method. And some people were doing deep dives into ice cold waters and drowned. Some other people got heart attacks and, and things like that. So it's not without risks that you try to follow his example. The things that he claims to work do not necessarily work, but it's still a fascinating thing how tolerant he can be to extremely low temperatures but it's not something you want to follow. And in recent years, he has been turning it down a notch. He's being much more cautious as to what he suggests other people try, but it's still something that should not be followed. And most of the claims, even on the website, are not supported by evidence. This is why he deserved to be on the calendar for this week in Skeptical History. Hmm. So, on the 20th of April, 1959, Wim Hof, or the Iceman, was born. And yeah. I, I, I really hope that he will live a long life, but uh, please don't drag anyone else with you just because you believe that you have discovered something very special or developed a method that is probably nothing. Uh, it's just something that you do. Uh, one of the things that he claims is that hyperventilation is beneficial. Hyperventilation can be beneficial. Hyperventilation is the elevated breathing activity, and it will result in higher oxygen levels in your blood, but that could lead to an alkaline situation. So it could alkalize your blood, which you really don't want to do. Yeah, it's, it can be really, really harmful too. Yeah, and it will trigger a couple of physiological responses that will not necessarily be beneficial, especially 
in an extremely cold situation. Yeah, I'm a first aid teacher besides being a podcaster. And hyperventilation is one of the topics we talk about because yeah. it is an emergency situation. <laughs> it is, it is. So yeah, don't follow his example. His achievements are fascinating, but uh, be careful as to what you attribute his successes to. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. But that brings us to the next thing that we have to discuss, and it's what the Pope has been up to lately. So, Pontus, do you have something to poke him for? Yes, because Frankie really has a mess on his hands when it comes to the Archdiocese of Cologne in Germany. Or Köln, right? Köln, oh, Köln. Köln yes. Yeah. So we have mentioned before that the Archbishop there, Cardinal Rainer Maria Wölki, he was appointed in 2015 and he has kept sex abuse reports secret and he has apologized for it. Well, okay, good for him. But the criticism continued after that and about half a year ago, Wölki handed in his resignation to Frankie. That's what we talked about on the show. The thing is that Frankie has not yet replied to that request to resign. Six months later, and he hasn't even reacted to it. <laughs> so, um, okay, fine. Maybe he's been busy. But uh, Völki decided in early March that he just had to reinstate himself because there was no archbishop in Cologne. And he had to go back to work since the Pope didn't say anything. And I, <laughs> I bet Völki regrets that decision now. Because the latest news from Cologne is that the previous archbishop, Joachim Meissner, he paid out almost 500,000 euro to cover the gambling debts of a clergyman who was working for the diocese. He took that decision on himself without any approval from anybody else, because as a bishop you can probably do a little bit what you do, or what you want to, especially <laughs> if you're an archbishop. But that was just the first step, because then... He had to follow that up by paying this clergyman's wage taxes as well, on top of the first amount, because that's the, the rule in Germany and in many other countries. If you pay somebody, it is sort of a wage or a salary, and you have to also pay the taxes on that. So, long story short, he soon had paid over a million euro to cover for gambling. So that's bad. And uh, where did Meissner find this money? Well, then we have to go all the way back to 1952, when the Diocese of Cologne set up what is now referred to as a quote-unquote special needs fund. Or, as you describe it in Germany, right, uh, Annika? Mm -hmm. and, and full disclosure, of course, I do not speak German, but uh, <laughs> this is my closest approximation of what it's called. Die ideelle und materielle Förderung besonderer kirchlicher, no, kirchlicher Benürfnisse und Einliegen im Erzbistum Köln. End quote. Very good. Uh, uh, okay, this is a I, I, fluent. I, I'm very out of breath after this um, because, of course, it's in German. You can't just say special needs. It's not good enough. Yeah, and you can even be out of breath after just saying one word in German. <laughs> That's sometimes. right. That's right. Yes. This was not one word I was saying. It was several <laughs> words. Could have been. It could have been. Could have been, yes. Anyway, one of the things that this special fund has been meant to cover is compensating sex abuse victims. 
it is very good for the archbishopry in Cologne to have or in Cologne to have a fund for that. But if your organization requires you to have a fund to cover for sex abuse victims, maybe you should uh, rethink what your organization is all about. Anyway, they had this fund. This is where Meissner found the money when he needed it to cover for gambling. So money that was supposed to go to abuse victims were used to cover a personal gambling debt of one of the employees. Mm -hmm. Wrong on so many levels. It is indeed. Right. And it's just up to one guy to decide. But if an abuse victim tries to get compensation, there are years and years and years of, of investigations which never amount to anything. What I found really funny is like, it's because it is, this is something that people are talking about on the streets here. Mm-hmm. Like, this is how <laughs> good how much of a scandal it is. Mm. And um, what I found really funny is that people are saying like, where were the committees? Monies of that sum can't actually be taken just out of a fund. And the archdiocese replied, well, they didn't need to get involved. <laughs> they no, didn't exactly. Be- it's up <laughs> like, to the bishop or to the archbishop to do whatever he wants yeah, to, apparently. His holiness. <laughs> now, it seems like the wage tax part of the money has been settled somehow by now, but the rest of the money is still gone, to my understanding. That's my understanding. Mm. So this, Francis, is what your organization is up to and it's spending its, its time, resources and money on. And uh, what is your reply, Frankie? Nothing, not even replying to a resignation letter. So (laughs) Frankie in this respect is like an ostrich. He's just hiding his head in the sand. And yes, I know that ostriches doesn't do that really, but but you know what I mean. (laughs) So, and and this is what what has come to light in one diocese. Think of all the things that are going on all over the world. Oh, yes. And Frankie is sitting there in Rome or in the Vatican and... um, (laughs) <laughs> not doing anything about it. Oh, but he did cry when he heard He's the, always the, very the sad when you about, hear about yeah. these things, but then he yeah. doesn't reply on the resignation letters. So, yeah, it could be that, that he gets so emotional that it basically takes over him and he's paralyzed. Yeah. He can't but, do but anything. Speak about bad leadership. Yeah. The former archbishop did something terrible. The new archbishop covered up sex abuse scandals by not filing the report or making them public and feels bad about it (laughs) and sends his resignation letter to Frankie and Frankie doesn't even reply. Yeah. Yeah, it could be an actual political move that he didn't reply. He is very good, well, at ignoring scandals. As soon Mm. as there's some scandal involved, he doesn't say one word about it that's probably yeah. working as well that's the infuriating part yeah but you're here to keep poking him yes that's the important <laughs> part and uh we know for a fact that he's listening to this so um <laughs> all right thank you very much pontus for poking the pope once again <laughs> and uh we are moving on to discussing the news Yeah, and I'll start with a banger <laughs> because <laughs> there was a plot to abduct Karl Lauterbach, the health minister. And you might think it was about his stance on homeopathy. No, it was not. The German police detained four people over an alleged plot to abduct health minister Karl Lauterbach. 
Mm-hmm. And he thinks or he said that forces that are using the COVID-19 restriction um, protests really actually want to destabilize the state and the democracy. Of course, there are no like there are no specifics in the media. We know why. <laughs> but police has detained four people and they not only wanted to kidnap the minister, but also to destroy power facilities to cause a nationwide power outage. How nice. Mm, ah, sunshines like four rays of sunshine (laughs) and you can really see here that the COVID protesters are a small minority in our society but they are highly dangerous and the suspects not only were affiliated with COVID protesters but also with the Reichsbürger movement and the Reichsbürger movement deny the existence of a modern German state so mm-hmm. they they the say no it's on the land thing pretty much aye, like aye, aye, satellites aye. satellite state of the US and we don't really are a state and blah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So here you can also see that the covid protests not only radicalized mm-hmm. but it's also more than just protesting against covid restrictions now it's it's actually about hitting the democracy where it hurts. And this is not the first time that police had to stop plots. In December, the police foiled a plot by anti-vax activists to murder the state premier of Saxony. And um, it's also interesting to see that the German vax campaign is pretty unsuccessful. So with the anti-vax activists, you can, you can see that they have an impact. And only 76.6% in Germany have uh, received at least one dose. And this is less than Italy or Spain, for example. And although Europeans largely are satisfied with the access to COVID-19 vaccines and also have positive attitudes towards vaccines, for example, 82% in the EU are pro-vax and only 8% are against it. And also 77% agree that the benefits of a vaccine outweighs possible risks. But here you can see that Germans seem to be less satisfied with the vaccinations and the vaccination strategy than the whole of EU. In a survey, 31% were fairly dissatisfied and in the EU, 25%. So you can really see that Germans seem to be a lot unhappier about about the vaccine and also about the national vaccine campaign. And the German government, again, also rejected mandatory vaccinations for people over 60 and I doubt it will. I'm. I'm not a politician, and I'm not a seer, <laughs> but I doubt it will. It will come to it. Yeah. Interestingly enough, the suspects that wanted to abduct Karl Lauterbach, um, they intended to cause civil war-like conditions and to overthrow the democratic system. And a fifth suspect is still at large. So, Ooh. great news, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow, so, he hasn't been on the job that long that you would yeah. kidnap him. But he's and very outspoken. Not, not about that him. I say that if somebody's <laughs> been on a job a yeah. long time, it's okay to kidnap them. That's that's not what I'm saying. No, yeah. not yet, not yet, not yet. Okay. Now, okay, now you can go. <laughs> yeah, but he's outspoken. He has opinions. And uh, okay. that's, of course, also not to say that the victim should be blamed. Of course not. But he's definitely generating a profile, if you know what I mean. Yeah, okay, so it's not an excuse, but it's... Uh, it's ex- not an excuse, It can no. explain why he becomes a target mm-hmm. for yeah. nut jobs like this. Exactly. 
Huh. Yeah, it's a good thing that they caught them or most of them mm. because we have very high hopes for the, for him. Yes. And uh, his yeah, direction yeah, yeah. his his direction <laughs> of uh, leading the the healthcare system of Germany. Right. He's the promised one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the chosen one. The chosen okay. one. <laughs> yeah, he is the chosen one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. By general election, yes. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So, um that's disturbing. But <laughs> yeah. um also, we need to talk about uh, Ukraine and Russia a little bit on the episode yeah. today. You can't ignore that. There's a lot of things going on. Nobody who follows the news will have missed the sinking of the Russian flagship Moskva or Moscow. Mm-hmm. So this is the same ship that early on in the war was met by a big fuck you from Ukraine soldiers when they <laughs> were asked to surrender. So that was a big deal, of course. And has already had time to become a Ukrainian postage stamp. Oh, Amazing yeah? Yeah. that they have time to design stamps at, the, at this time, but uh, good for them, good for them. The Moskva was more than that. It was an impressive ship, the pride of the Ru- Russian Black Sea Navy, and beyond that it was launched as the Slava, the, which means glory, already in 1979, Cold mm. War Soviet times, and has been used in conflicts in Georgia and Syria, and in peacetime uh, occasionally has been the venue for Vladimir Putin to receive important international guests. The Moskva was the third largest in the Russian fleet altogether, biggest in the Black Sea, but third largest in the total fleet. But it also has two sister ships. None of those are in the Black Sea at the moment, uh, so it would be very difficult to get them there if you wanted to, because Turkey has said it will stop any warships from passing through the Bosporus. The big question, of course, is was the Moskva sunk by Ukraine or did something else happen to it? Ukraine says that they hit it with two Neptune anti-warship missiles. And the Neptune missile, ironically, was developed from an older Soviet design, but Ukraine improved on it. Russia, on the other hand, has stated that it sunk due to an unexplained fire combined with poor weather conditions. They also say that all crew members were rescued. Now, we can't say for sure what happened because there are propaganda coming from both sides. What we do know is that the weather conditions were not that bad at the time. We have a picture allegedly showing the Moskva leaning and burning with two holes on one side, which experts are saying are, quote, consistent with being hit by two missiles, end quote. So (laughs) think of that what you will. But on the other hand, we do have a video released by Russia that is said to show the crew from the Moskva after the event. The Washington Post reports that they estimate the number of people in the video to be over 100. Then again, we also know that the total number of crew should be around 500 or 600. We have at least... Just significantly more than about 100,000 people. Uh, We also have three family members or three families saying that their sons were on the Moskva and they are now reported as missing or dead by the Russian forces to the families. So uh, I, I think we all tend to lean towards trusting Ukraine sources a little bit more than Russian. But we should be careful of our own biases, of course, as well. It is interesting to note what uh, US National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan remarked. 
He said that if Russia is lying, then they feel that it's better for them to blame the sinking on their own incompetence rather yeah. than on uh, Ukrainian success. Yeah, I've been thinking of that for the days. Yeah, that, yeah. That. We would rather say that we accidentally set our own ship on fire and we couldn't uh, <laughs> yeah. help it. Mm. And uh, rather say that than saying that, uh, no, no, the Ukrainians actually did. Yeah, I slipped it. on a banana peel yeah. instead of being hit in the face and, and falling yeah. over. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. <laughs> which one is worse? I don't yeah. know. I don't know either. And, and maybe we'll never know. But uh, yeah. Interesting. Very, very interesting. And saddening as well, because that means that is even after a, more than a month and a half, this fucking war is still ongoing and it should not be so. Oh, by the way, I hear that um, your country is about to join NATO, but, uh, <laughs> well, it stirred up quite a bit of response from, from the Kremlin, right? Yeah, yeah. well, we'll see about that. I don't know. It's, of course, Finland and Sweden both discussing internally and sometimes with each other whether it's now time to join NATO which is a very quick change of from the of the official yeah. stance because we have said from Sweden's point of view we've said ever since even including during the uh, world war 2 that we should be neutral we should be neutral but we have collaborated with NATO for a long time already yeah. uh, it's just that it's been I, I don't know. Uh, it's sort of a hypocrisy all the way. And uh, maybe now it's time to, to join. But it's strange that it goes so fast from the... It was unthinkable a year ago, I think. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. But the whole war was unthinkable a year ago. Yes. That's true. So, uh, diff yeah. Extraordinary times call for extraordinary measures. Mm. But it's 70 years or more of official policy... Of neutrality. Uh, yeah, <laughs> ch changed over little more than a month. Yeah. Moving on to something that is not related to the war, but there has been a bit of a war going on with regards to the interpretation of the thing that we call the Shroud of Turin. It's called the Shroud of Turin because it's been held in the Royal Chapel of the Cathedral of Turin since the end of the 16th century. And the shroud refers to something that is widely thought of as the burial fabric, the burial shroud in which Jesus Christ was wrapped after crucifixion right before his resurrection. His pajamas, really, for a couple of days. Yeah, yeah, his pajamas. But for some reason, he his left a mark. mark. <laughs> he, he left a mark on the pajamas, which we usually well, don't you, do. You I should believe. be very careful. Don't leave a mark on your pajamas. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, what, what? Why is it a, a big thing? Because we, we we've discussed it earlier. I don't know really, if you remember that, but on episode one hundred and forty-three, where we did our first ever live recording at QED Ooh. back in two thousand eighteen, it was uh, this week in skepticism item because the radiocarbon dating of uh, the shroud, which happened in nineteen eighty-eight, the media conference where they announced the results was on the 14th of October. And they revealed, the results revealed, that it's basically a medieval 
hoax. It was it was a medieval forgery because it could not be older than sometime around 1260 and uh, thir- uh, 1390. So basically the Middle Ages. And uh, we have to mention that the first mention of the Shroud of Turin it was denounced by church officials as well as a fake because it was not believed back then that it was the real thing. Well, fast forward to the 1970s when a guy by the name David Rolfe made a documentary with the title The Silent Witness and that was the one that brought the shroud into the public eye, basically. It was another 10 years before the the collaboration between the British Museum and Oxford University, the radiocarbon dating actually took place. But this guy, David Rolfe, had not been a believer before shooting the documentary. And he called for interesting topics to cover uh, for a documentary, and that was one of them. He found it very fascinating. But then he became quite a believer of the genuinity of the Shroud of Turin. So much so that when the radiocarbon dating results came out, he started outright denying it because it went against his belief. Uh, so it's a classical case of um, cognitive dissonance, right? He just had to deal with it. Since then, he's become a very successful producer and filmmaker. Now, he came up with yet another new film a couple of days ago with the title Who Can He Be? You can watch the website among the show notes. We will share the links where this very movie is being discussed. He's issued a challenge to anyone who can reproduce the Shroud of Turin with medieval methods because he doesn't believe that it could have been done. Now, I would like to tell him that we know of a person who has done that. So, been there, done that. <laughs> the guy's name is Luigi Garlaschelli. Exactly. And if We've you had have... him on the show even, right? Exactly, on episode 78. Oh. We had an, uh, an interview with him. So we can him. cash in on the prize now, come. <laughs> ding, uh, ding, ding. Uh, well, if not, if not us, then definitely Luigi Garlaschelli can. <laughs> so it's a ridiculous thing to an- announce something like that, to issue a call for providing convincing evidence when it's already been done. I'm pretty sure that he's aware of Luigi Garlaschelli's work into reproducing the Shroud of Turin with medieval methods and things that have been available Available even in Jesus' time, not, not only in the medieval times. So it's a ridiculous claim. It has been released, uh, issued recently, but I'm pretty sure it's just a classic case of dismissing the evidence because it goes against your beliefs. This means that nobody will take that $1 million worth of challenge seriously, and nobody will actually take that money home. The challenge was issued towards the British Museum, by the way, but the British Museum said that they they were not interested. They didn't give a detailed explanation as to why not, but I'm pretty sure that one of the reasons is that there is no way anyone can convince this guy. It's the reverse case of things that we've seen in the skeptical community, like uh, with Natalie Grams or uh, Brit Mary Hermes, who have decided that the things that they previously had believed in, after analyzing a convincing amount of evidence, they were convinced that that was basically bullshit. This guy did the opposite thing. He made up his mind. It means that uh, he's a true believer now of the genuinity of the Shroud of Turin, which is 
not a genuine thing according to science. So all the different ideas that have emerged so far regarding why it might still be genuine have been dismissed by uh, science based on the lack of methodologically sound evidence. Yeah, something that still needs sound evidence is homeopathy. <laughs> yeah, we're still waiting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And despite us being the European Skeptics podcast, I now want to talk about something that is happening in the US because it's pretty much international news and it's groundbreaking for skeptics. Science mm -hmm. advocates filed a lawsuit against one of the biggest manufacturers of homeopathic products called Byron. Incorporation. <laughs> okay, Boiron, because it's a French company. Boiron. Boiron. I would say it's Boiron. <laughs> it's Boiron, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> And they filed this lawsuit because of the deception of vulnerable consumers with useless products that look like real medicine. Mm. This company, which the name I can't pronounce, <laughs> according to CFI, um, routinely made false claims about its products and sometimes they were even lying about the ingredients and that's not only fraudulent but it's also negligent in laboratories there were no traces of ingredients found but also if you don't if you lie about the ingredients then if there are traces in there and someone is allergic to something and you don't name it then that's also very negligent i mean that won't happen that often in homeopathy <laughs> because they dilute things well, you but you don't know because there are so-called yeah, homeopathic there have been belladonna cases yeah so. yeah <laughs> where, where they don't do it correctly and, exactly. and also i don't know if boiron has done this so don't sue me about that but There are homeopathic remedies that where you add things to make it have an effect. Yeah, that's why it's that's that's really dangerous. What is also mentioned in the lawsuit that there are identical products being sold that promise treatment of specific illnesses or injuries, but they're completely identical. And that's a, ver a very bold claim that a lot of alternative medicines do or remedies <laughs> do, but Yeah, we just know that that can't work if it's meant to help a swollen ankle and cancer. You know, that's just not the same thing. And interestingly enough, if you think about it, 85% of consumers who purchase homeopathic products They do not realize that they were homeopathic. I actually did that once too. I just wanted to get some eye drops for Luna because she had like clogged tear drains, like tear duct. Mm -hmm. The pharmacist, just, he's like, yeah, yeah, this is a mild solution. It's just like... Very mild. I don't know. Basically salt water, here you go. And, and only when I saw the package, I was like, well, that's that's homeopathic. <laughs> wow. So yeah, it, it does happen. And it apparently happens to 85% of all consumers. And this is jarring if you think about that. Mm. So yeah, we'll definitely keep you updated on that lawsuit because it's uh, opening doors for other lawsuits, I guess. Yeah, and uh, well, since uh, Boiron is uh, operating in 59 countries across the world, it could be done exactly. in every single country. <laughs> basically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, or on a European level because it's a French company. By the way, I think that Center for Inquiry and the Committee for Skeptical Inquirers, CSI, have done something together before like 10 11 years ago i think they petitioned yeah i don't remember the fda the food and drug administration of the us to check on boiron and stop their unlawful actions so it's probably a follow-up on that but I'm, i'm not sure all right thank you very much thank you and 
Go down the center for inquiry. Yes. Pretty good on them. And with that, we are moving on to finding out who's been really wrong apart from Baron, of course. <laughs> <laughs> really wrong apart from Baron. Yes, I, I don't know if you've heard about this, but there have been a series of riots in Sweden lately, uh, yeah. over the last week or so. That's very unusual. And um, there is this despicable guy, and this is my opinion, so don't sue me. Opinions should be f- fine. In my view, he's a despicable guy. He's called Rasmus Paludan, or Paludan. I don't even know how to, to pronounce that. He is Danish, but he has a Swedish father. Paludan is a politician on the ultra-right-wing side, and he really seems to be the worst person ever. Again, my opinion. He's very racist towards Muslims and violently anti-Islamic. He wants to expel all Muslims from Denmark and has said that the ones that refuses to leave or cannot be expelled for some reason, they should be put in labor camps in Greenland. Wow. Mm. And also, as a side thing, he has admitted that he has chatted to 12 to 13-year-old boys online about hardcore porn, but he doesn't see a problem with that. So, real peach. Mm-hmm. Another he- ray of sunshine. Yes. His favorite hobby is to arrange meetings where he... Meetings... I don't know if anybody else than him do this, but he makes sure that it's public so people come to watch it. And on these meetings, he burns the Quran. That is his favorite hobby. In 2020, he tried that several times in Sweden as well. He's done it in Denmark. He came over to Sweden to do it. But that resulted in him being banned from Sweden for two years. And that is very rare for a Danish person, I can tell you. Mm. However, the ban was later lifted because, as I said, he has a Swedish uh, father. And using that as the vehicle, he got a Swedish citizenship. And then, of course, you can't ban him from going to Sweden anymore. So now he's at it again. He's coming to Sweden a couple of times now publicly to burn Qurans, but what he really wants to do is just provoke people. And that has succeeded beyond, beyond expectations, unfortunately. It is not illegal in Sweden to burn the Quran. In fact, the right of assembly and the right to express your views are so much a part of the foundation laws of Sweden that you can't really make a law against that. So the stupid thing is that the police not only has to allow this, but they also Mm -hmm. have to protect him, which has stirred up a lot of Muslims to attack the police. And that is what has triggered these uh, riots. So they've been throwing stones and setting cars on fire, buses on fire. It's happened a couple of times over the past week or so in several different locations in Sweden, among them here in Malmö, where I live. It has led to anti-police sentiments among the Muslim community. They have been attacking police cars and private property even when this guy Paludan hasn't even been there. And of course, I have no sympathy for rioting mobs who for stupid religious reasons cannot understand that the book is just a book and a right-wing idiot is just a right-wing idiot. There's no excuse to riot. But at the same time, this Paludan guy is a fucking prick, to be explicit. Why the hell does he think he has any reason to provoke people that way? I mean, if you're in the book-burning business, you (laughs) must know that you're on the wrong side of something. 
Yeah, because yeah. you're on the side of Nazis, just saying. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You know, even if it's not illegal explicitly, it is not something you should do. <laughs> Tim Minchin comes to mind. <laughs> Has he burned You remember books? that? No. no, no, no. But he said that uh, <laughs> burning a book is like burning a bra. After the adrenaline rush of the symbolic moment wears off, all you're left with is a pile of ashes and unsupported boobs. <laughs> I haven't heard that. That's very good. No, should no, be pretty, today's quote, I, I, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, as I said, ridiculous. riots are also very wrong. So nobody is right here. Paludan deserves a big, fat, really wrong award for his pointless provocations, and the rioters as well, of course, are also really wrong. Very oh, well deserved in a both double regards. prize, yes, double, yeah. indeed, double indeed. whammy. <laughs> Sometimes both sides can be wrong. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, thank you very much, Pontus. Mm-hmm. All that's left for us to do is for Anika to hit us with a quote. Yeah, and today. I'm quoting someone that I met at QED 2018 because I was missing uh, QED a bit today. So mm. I thought I'll just use a quote from... Was it me? No. No, okay. <laughs> but I met, I met you at QED, that's right. Yeah, all right. <laughs> I was at Andros at QED. <laughs> no, the quote is by Marianne Talbot, who is the Director ah. of Studies and Philosophy in Oxford. And it's out of her book, Critical Reasoning, A Romp Through the Foothills of Logic for the Complete Beginner. And the quote is as goes. So knowing about the fallacies won't stop your mistaking instances of these fallacies for the real thing. There is no substitute for putting in the mental effort and attention you need to guard against such mistakes. That that is very true. That is very true. (laughs) We fall for these logical fallacies all the time, even if we can name them on a quiz. (laughs) And sometimes (laughs) we can't even do that. But if even if you can do that, you still fall for them. And they are very, very tempting a lot of times. Exactly. And there's no substitute for really putting the effort in. No. Yeah. No, it's hard work. Being a skeptic is uh, not uh, a walk in the park. (laughs) <laughs> exactly well, well put <laughs> okay so that brings us to the end of the show and I'd like to thank both of you Annika and Pontus for joining me today thank you thank you uh, many thanks to our listeners as well for tuning in please keep doing so and until next week goodbye tschüss hello bis lat. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesb.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe
Nobody who follows the news will have missed that. Uh, uh, sorry, will have missed this. What were you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to make that joke. It's so tiresome. Okay. 